0: Good morning. He is risen. There we go. Can't get through a Resurrection Sunday without that. Like, that is, that's just tradition. Today we celebrate, like, this service, especially. We celebrate now every service we celebrate because Jesus is resurrected every Sunday. We meet together, right? He's, he's alive every single day we live. But today we celebrate and uh, the most significant event to ever occur in history, past history and even future history. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished the sacrifice needed for the forgiveness of sin so that whoever believes in Jesus could be declared righteous before God. The resurrection was the event that ushered in the defeat of death and the hope of eternal life. New heavens, new earth, and union with God and one another, never to experience sin and death again. Tonight, or today, we are not building to the main point. We are jumping in head first immediately. Jesus' victory is our victory. Eternal life and forgiveness belong to everyone who answers Jesus' call, come, come to me. So let's jump in. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 20 through 25. Would you read along in your copy of God's word as I read this? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and th- the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he's accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Father, please bless the reading of your word this morning. Please direct our, our, our minds. Holy Spirit, would you give us the, the eyes to see your word for what it is. The minds to understand it, to comprehend it, to hear, to hear you, the ears to hear your voice in our lives this morning. And the hearts to embrace it. And follow you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read this passage, we have to we have to notice right off the bat, it begins with but. That means this is a contrast, a contrast. What came before it, we have to understand if we're going to understand what this says, because it's contrasting what came before with what he's about to say or what we just read. And so what we see is is that the people if you look back a little bit, the people were denying the resurrection. Not Jesus' resurrection. In verse 11, it talks about that. It says, it says uh, what does it say? So we preach, and so you believed. So they believed Jesus' resurrection, but there was, this, there was this belief going around that there wasn't really a resurrection for everyone. And Paul is responding to that. And he's saying... The two are tied together. You can't have Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection separate. If you have one, then there's the other. If you don't have the one, then you don't have the other. If Jesus didn't, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are above all to be most pitied. Because our hope is in vain. It's futile. But... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, Paul, as a former Pharisee, knew exactly what he was doing when he used this term, firstfruits. He's pointing back to Leviticus 23, the first firstfruits celebration that follows Passover. It was a grain offering brought to the Lord before the first harvest. What would happen is... Before they harvested their first crop, they would gather some of it and bring it to the temple as an act of worship and praise and thanksgiving before before God. And the priest would leave the temple, go to the edge of the city and meet them at the edge of the city. And then they would walk back together in celebration, singing and dancing all the way from the edge of the city back to the temple mount. And the priest would take those those sheaves of grain because it was a grain offering and he would wave them in every direction, as a symbol of God's provision, thanking God for his provision, and recognizing God's sovereignty over all the earth. And this followed closely after Passover. So we see the Passover and the lamb that's sacrificed, and we know That Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled that as the past, Jesus being the Passover lamb. And we see Jesus' fulfillment of the celebration that follows close on its hills, the feast of first fruits, the celebration of first fruits, Jesus fulfilling that. That said, Paul's using this as an illustration, but he knows they're not getting it fully. There needs to be more explanation. And so he gives us more details. He wants the church and his readers to see how all of this fits into the big story. Because there is. There's a much bigger story that all of this is a part of. And so he takes us all the way back to Genesis 1 through 3. For as by a man came death, by a man... Has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, to understand the work of Jesus, we have to go back to the beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation. God speaks, the heavens, the earth, and all that's in them leap into existence. God, creator. It culminates in the creation of man and woman, Adam and Eve, God's image bearers, and it is very good. And then God gives them a mission to be fruitful, fill the earth, rule over creation as God's representatives. But then we see the first adversary to God in the garden, tempting Eve, undermining God's word in her mind. She's deceived and eats from the fruit. And Adam, the first of humanity, rebels against God and eats as well. Sin enters the world and therefore death. Everyone descended from Adam are now sinful. Everyone descended from Adam, we die. Everyone descended from Adam are guilty before God. But that power of death and that adversary, they will not last. One would come, Eve's offspring, who would crush the head of the adversary, the one through whom death and sin would be defeated forever. So the resurrection, it's part of a much larger plan. A plan that dates all the way back. And that plan has a structure. All of creation will be renewed. But before that can take place, all of the adversaries, all of the powers, all of the authorities, all that resist God, they must be destroyed. Which brings us to this next thought. When we read about rulers and authorities, we can't help but notice there is so much more to this world, this creation, than what we can see. There's more happening than what you and I can perceive with our eyes. The whole story is about more than us as humans. There's a structure in order to creation, and there will be a structure in order to the resurrection, beginning with Jesus as the firstfruits. Part of that order is the spiritual realm. And there are spiritual forces that have been acting since the beginning. They're part of God's good creation, actually. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20 says this He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, speaking of Jesus. For by Him all things were created in heaven. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He created all things, all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers and authority were created by him, through him and for him. It's part of God's good creation. But there was rebellion there as well. So there are now those that work against God. Note, this isn't just Satan and his demons. Although we see in the Gospels, they are very real. They're real. But it's also earthly powers. Kings. Presidents. Parliaments. Committees. Those who hold authority and who resist God's will and God's kingdom. There's sickness and disease. Those are powers as well. There are great powers that influence us, that affect us, that burden and oppress. There are powers of sin and the flesh. Oh, come on now. You know... You know the struggle, right? Try and live righteous for a day. You know the struggle of the flesh. The sin that we, that we deal with. And the power of death. You see, here's the problem we face, though. We are so conditioned by our Western rationalistic culture that we don't acknowledge or account for anything that can't be observed in some way. I get it. I struggle with it also. In fact, I wrestle with this all the time. And you know where it proves true? Like where I see it like really come out? It's in how I approach prayer. You know, it's it's an unfortunate truth, but the least gathered, the least attended gatherings in churches all throughout US, Maryland, Montgomery County, Even here, our prayer services. It kind of exposes us, doesn't it? Now, I understand. That's not the whole picture. Prayer happens outside of prayer services. I understand. But it does say something. And it reveals, if we're honest, how little regard we have for the spiritual realm, and therefore how little regard we have for prayer. It's convicting for me, as it might be for, for you, but it, it reveals our heart a little bit. And yet in Scripture, the spiritual realm is viewed as the more important part of our life and our struggles as children of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 12 through 13: "For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That person, that's not your enemy." The one who's mad at you, the one you have conflict with, the one that makes your life torturous, they're not your enemy. Yeah, they're a problem, but ultimately they're not your enemy because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. See, we think our problems are our conflicts. We think our problems are the things that make us feel bad or our failures. No, our problems ultimately the things that we're most tempted to fall to is falling, not standing firm. And that's what Paul prays for the churches, and that's what we see uh, the writers of especially the New Testament praying again and again, but you see it in the Old Testament as well praying, stand firm. Jesus talked about it building your house on a rock, not the shifting sand, but a rock. So that when the storms come, you will stand firm. So, how should we respond? How do we counter our tendency to ignore what matters most? By continually reminding ourselves and one another, because we are in this together. That's what this is about. We are in this together. We are family. That we are part of a much bigger story. We're part of Jesus' story. This is not our story. This is Jesus' story, and Jesus wins. He's won. He has victory, and the victory began then. There was victory then. When Jesus was on earth, he showed he had authority over all creation. He calmed the storms. He silenced the winds and the waves. He had authority over sickness and disease. He healed the blind, the deaf, the leprous. He had authority over the spiritual realm. He cast out demons. He had authority over death. He raised Lazarus and he raised others. He had that authority. He was victorious. But in all these power, in all of those instances, the powers were not yet defeated. There were more storms. People still got sick. And everyone, including those brought back from the dead, died again. Until. Jesus rose never to die again. The first fruits, the first of many. Just as all who are in Adam die, all who are in Christ will rise again. Jesus won then, but that's, that's not the whole story. Jesus wins now. There's victory now. You see, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Ephesians 2, verse 4, starting in verse 4, even when we were dead in our, transgression, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us, this is past tense, notice this, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, there is a resurrection that takes place every time someone puts their faith in Jesus. While we still face physical death, we know that it has no power over us. Amen. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus' victory then provides vict- our victory today. Amen. We've been called to follow Jesus, to love like he loved, to forgive like he forgives, to overcome sin, to abide in him like he abides in the father. We are called to live different lives by the Holy Spirit living within us. By that, we have the power to do so. Because God dwells in us. That's real. Like that's real, people. That's not just something on paper. That's not theology. I mean, it's theology, but it's not just theology. (laughs) This is true victory that we experience as we learn to follow Jesus more closely. But this isn't the end either. There's still more to the story. The resurrection. This resurrection that we're talking about now, it's not the complete victory. And while good, it's not what we look forward to. The victory is not complete until the entire harvest is brought in. Jesus was the first fruits. That's the promise that there is a harvest that will be brought. It's not done until every single person in Christ follows in the complete defeat of death. Spiritual And physical. You see, there is victory forever. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy is death. Death is an enemy. But that's not how we're taught to think about death. We're taught to try and accept it. To try and somehow be okay with it. Let me give you an example. There's a show I was watching not too long ago where the main character is, is, is trying to explain how not believing that there is anything after we die it actually makes life more beautiful. And it means that one day, and and the way he expresses it, he says, what that means is that one day we will eat our last meal. We'll drink our last cup of coffee. We'll give our last hug. And we don't know when that'll be, but there'll come a day when it's our last. And he's right. That's true. And he says, what that does is it forces us to appreciate each and every day that we have now. So, Take every opportunity. Do those things. Now, I've got no problem with the idea of taking every opportunity and appreciating every day that we have now. Because every day is a gift from God, yes? Every day, every breath we have is a gift. And so I have no problem with that. But this idea that because there are no do-overs, that there is no sequel, so we appreciate this life now, carpe diem, And while poetic and very noble-sounding, it's wrong. And even as believers, we kind of get sucked into this mindset, using similar language, treating death as simply a passage from this life to the next. It's wrong. That's not what death is. Yeah, we try to make ourselves feel better about it, it's the cycle of life. It's natural. No, it's not natural. Remember the beginning of the story. There was no death there. Death was not part of creation. That was the result of sin. That's where death came into the picture when we rebelled against God. That's where it came in. Death is an enemy. Death is the cancer of creation, and its starting point was Adam's sin, and it continues through ours. We should never be okay with it. We should hate it with everything inside of us. Every funeral we attend, we experience that grief, that hole, that anger at having to let go of someone that we should have spent uninterrupted eternity with. We hate it. It is a horrific atrocity against all that creation was supposed to be. Jesus did not come to make death a pleasant rite of passage, the doorway to eternity. He came to destroy it. And that, that's good news. That's the gospel. While everyone else tries to get us to feel better about it, except death, Jesus went to war with it and he won. He won. He died and rose again, never to die again. He is the first fruits of what is to come. That is the mission that Jesus came to accomplish. And accomplish it, he did. That means we are part of that story, his story, the only true happily ever ending that will ever occur. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be an all in all. This is the promise. This is the promise. The father gave Jesus authority over everything to accomplish one task. Defeat sin and death and liberate humanity. Jesus will destroy every power and every authority up to and including death at his return. And when that happens, so, so the father gave him all authority to do that. And when that happens and it's all done, he will turn around and hand that authority back to the father and all will be right forever. There will be nothing in heaven and earth separated from God ever again. God will be all in all. That's what we celebrate today. That is what Resurrection Sunday Easter is all about. He won then. He wins now. And he will win for eternity. That is, that's good news. So as we get ready to close in prayer, I would ask that you consider this. Is Jesus' victory your victory? Be honest with yourself. Is your life, Monday through Saturday, a continuing story of Jesus' resurrection for the world to see? Do you know the celebration of battling? And I mean battling, because this is a struggle. Battling against sin and seeing how the Lord provides the way of escape, because that's what he promises. You know, there was never a promise that God would not give us more than we could handle. That's never, that's not in scripture. You know that, right? You do now. That's not in scripture. God gives us God gives us more than we can handle all the time so that we turn to him. But what, but what the promise does say is that when you're dealing with sin and when you're in the middle of that battle, he will give you a way out. And the joy that comes from taking that way out, and I'm not talking about perfection. We all mess it up. But man, walking with him In the relationship that we were created for. That's joy. That's where joy is. Have you experienced the freedom that comes with new life and the forgiveness of all your sins? If the answer to that one is no, you know what Jesus is saying to you today? Come. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy come to me and i will give you rest for my burden is light and my yoke is easy bind yourself to him today trust him follow him and he says i will never leave you i will never forsake you that's our god Our God's not the God waiting to be angry, waiting to say, that's it, that's the last straw. He's saying, keep coming. Come back to me. I will never leave you. You see, Jesus is calling you this morning into this relationship. Go to him. Trust him. And for those of us who have put our trust in him, well, this is still for us. The gospel is an everyday thing. We need it every single day. We live in this. We depend on it. It is the very air that we breathe to live. Because Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father, they are our life. What is eternal life? To know Him. Together... Because of this promise, we will experience what Isaiah described, what Lila read at the beginning. And oh, by the way, of Guinea, I don't know if you're still in here, man. You set the table for all of this. Awesome, awesome job. But this is what we will experience on the on this mountain. The Lord of Hosts will make for all peoples, not just some peoples from every tribe, tongue. And nation. He will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wine, a, of rich food full of marrow, and aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Father, thank you. Today we rejoice. Today we recognize and remember again that your victory was won on that cross. That your rule and reign, your defeat of death was declared in your resurrection. We celebrate it today. We praise you. You are the only one worthy of our praise. You are the only one worthy of our worship, of song, and, and our lives. But Lord, you are worthy. You made us. You save us. You've adopted us. You've made us your own. And we will spend eternity with you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We look forward to that day. But Lord, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the mercy that you show every day up in, up until that day you return and the end comes. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.